Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning. Welcome to Harbor Church Online. I'm glad that you're with us. Um, I hope you're doing well. My name is Josh Adams. I'm the pastor of Harbor Church, and we are into another week of How to Be Brave. And I'm so glad that you're with us. If this is your first time at Harbor Church checking us out, or maybe you're listening to the podcast, you're watching us on Vimeo or on YouTube, thanks so much for being a part of our services. Uh, I'm so glad that we get to continue in on this series. And uh, man, it's been fun. It's a little bit different preaching to an empty room, but uh, I'm glad that you're with us. Drop a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Say hi. Uh, we're just we're eager to connect with you. We'd love uh, to know how to uh, just come alongside you as a church and be be a part of what's going on in your life, especially as we all go through this coronavirus craziness, this chaos, this quarantine time. It's so weird, so different. Um, it's great that we get a chance because of technology to still connect a little bit and hang out. Before we jump in. I don't know if you guys know this, but today marks the 123rd anniversary of the very first Boston Marathon. So this date, back on April 19th of 1897, was when they ran their very first Boston Marathon. I do not understand marathon runners. I don't get why you like it. Maybe you're at home and you're like, oh, that sounds awesome. I love running. I know that right now with uh, the quarantine, every time there's a nice day out, that people are just like taking walks. They are walking their dogs. They're walking their kids. They're out jogging around the block. They're so cooped up inside. Any reason to get out, even if it's exercise, they're getting out. Maybe that's you. I don't know what you're doing, but we had some fun this morning talking about exercise, our little, uh, uh, little whatever you call that, interaction with some of our staff and Joanne singing and, and uh, getting a uh, little cardio on. And I know Allison told you guys about the competition we're running on, you know, film something at home, a, a different kind of cardio or different kind of workout, different kind of exercise that you can do at home. Here's the, my question to you, just to kind of get you thinking, what is your exercise of choice? What, would, uh, what, what do you do to get your, uh, uh, you know, your heart pumping? What do you do to uh, burn off a few calories? Uh, maybe you have nothing right now, uh, and you just you could just lie or uh, tell us what you think you would do. Uh, but I'm curious to see what you got going on there. I hope you guys are doing well. I know that this can be an uncertain time. I know that it can be a little bit heavy, as uh, we don't know what's coming next. We don't know when quarantine's going to end. We don't know uh, exactly how all this is going to play out. And so it's hard to find that brave face to put on. It's hard to muster up the courage to tackle some of the things that, man, we just, we don't know where they're coming and where they're going and what it's going to be like. So I thought this was a great series to jump into while we're going through all this. Let's talk about how we find that brave and how, how does God have that for us? And we've looked at different characters, um, some cool stories with some guys doing some, some really nuts stuff, some uh, you know, Benaniah going after a lion. Um, last time before Easter, we were talking about Jonah and how he was the opposite of brave and how he runs away. Today, I want to look at two very brave women who do some really courageous things. And uh, I think that story gets missed. I think most of the people think of the story of Ruth and the whole book of Ruth. They think of it as a love story. And there is a lot of uh, cool parts about the love that's there. And we'll speak about that a little bit today. But Ruth, the book of Ruth, is more than just a story about um, her and Boaz and their relationship. If you actually stop and look at chapter 1 of Ruth, it, it shows us really a great picture of what bravery looks like. So let's jump in to Ruth chapter 1, and it says this. We're going to read a few verses, and we'll just kind of talk about the story as it goes. If you've never heard this story before, that's okay. It's a, it's a small book in the Old Testament, and Ruth is, is known, she... She, this book it has become famous, especially amongst uh, the, the Jewish uh, historians, because Ruth, although she wasn't an Israelite, she ends up getting in the lineage of Jesus. She is uh, in the lineage of King David, and uh, she wouldn't be there if it wasn't for how things transpired in her life. So this is, this is how we come to know her, and it says this in, in verse number one of chapter number one. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel... A severe famine came upon the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, 
taking his wife and his two sons with him. This man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So real quick, just so you understand, it says that this story that we're talking about today takes place during the time of Judges. If you read the Bible, uh, you'll see a book called Judges. And this uh, past summer, I did a series called Heroes. And we looked at a lot of these judges. It's Gideon, it's Deborah, uh, it's Samson. Um, it's these cool guys and, and, and women that, that do these awesome things for God. And it's, it's, it's because the children of Israel, after Moses and Joshua die, they don't really have any strong leaders. So it's, it's, uh, it's described as the most common phrase for this 400-year period of Israel in the Promised Land. It's just described as simply people did what was good in their own eyes, what they thought was good. And because people just did whatever they thought was good without any real direction, without any real leadership, uh, the Israelites keep falling off into idol worship. They keep walking away from God and they keep, <coughs> excuse me, they keep getting uh, attacked and persecuted. And it says that during, it's during this time that uh, a famine hits in the land uh, of the Israelites. So the Israelites take over the promised land. This is where God calls them out of Egypt to come to the promised land. And it's called the promised land because God promised them it was their land. It would be flowing with milk and honey. It would be a land of plenty as long as they obeyed him, as long as they served him. And so the fact that we see that there's a famine going on lets us know that the people, once again, during this time of judges, the people of Israel were not serving God. They were not following after God. They were worshiping false gods. They were doing other things. So the fact that Elimelech and his family leave, now the way it's written, uh, when it says that he's, he's journeying out, the, the connotation is that they were just going to go out for a while and then come back. Like they were out looking for some food, they were out looking for some way to get through the famine, but they weren't going to stay out. They were going quickly to go see if they could get something better and then come back uh, to Bethlehem. However, uh, what we see here is that they, they think that they can f- solve their problem by going to Moab. Now, Moab uh, was a distant country that did not, the Moabites didn't really like the Israelites. A lot of times they fight. Uh, the Moabites served uh, what was called the fish god. They had other gods that they worshipped. They definitely didn't worship the, the one true god that the Israelites worshipped. So it was a pagan land. And the, the fact that Emelech is going out to uh, an enemy land, a pagan territory, to try to fix his problem, lets us just kind of see a little bit of how bad it was. And something we can take away from this is you can't fix your problem by running away from it. You, you cannot expect, and, and if you may not have noticed, he's not going to be the picture of bravery that we're looking at. Um, because real bravery isn't running from a problem. And what I see a lot of people doing today, what I see a lot of people um, engaging in is if it gets tough, if it gets scary, if it gets heavy, if, it, if they're unsure, if they're uncertain, they just run. They just get away from it. And this is the exact same thing we saw last time we looked at uh, how to be brave with the story of Jonah. This running away does not solve it and is not what, where courage comes from. So some of you, if you have a problem in your marriage, ignoring it and running away from it, that's not the bravery that God's called you to. If you're having a struggle with your kids, if you're having a struggle with a bad habit, some uh, addiction that you've been giving into, if there is something in your life that you know is not right, is not pleasing, running away from it does not fix it, does not solve it. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, I was out playing in the woods. I lived out in the country and um, I was out uh, just messing around, being a stupid kid. And uh, I thought uh, I, could, I, I could just start a little fire and, and get warm, you know, like, you know, I make, I make campfires all the time, not a big deal. But this time I thought I would make a campfire inside this tree. And there's this old tree that was dead and it had this big, I mean, it was a big tree and had this big opening in it. And I was like, oh, well, the wind won't put my fire out. So I made like, I just piled up some sticks and some leaves and I made a little fire in there. And I was like, this is nice. This is warm. And 
And I'm an idiot because uh, it's a hollowed out tree. And so the flames started growing and it started catching the inside of the tree on fire. And I was like, oh, crap. And then, and then I was like, let me, uh, let me get out of here. And because I, I tried to throw dirt on it and I had no water. There was nothing going on. It was, uh, it was a drought at this time, which is a stupid time to start a fire. But uh, everything was dry and I couldn't get the fire out. And so I run back to my house. And I'm like, maybe it'll just go out. Maybe the fire will just go out. So as a kid, I'm running back to my house. I finally get back. And I mean, it was maybe a, a half a mile or more up into the woods where that tree was. And I finally get back to my house. And I look across the field. And this pillar of smoke is now growing. And it is just this big, big cloud of smoke. And I can look through and see flames. And I'm like, Oh, crap. So I grab a bucket of water, and I'm like running through the field trying to carry a bucket of water. By the time I get there, I've got more water on me, and it's just splashed everywhere. I get to the, to the tree. It's now a pillar of fire. It's just a raging inferno. And I throw this bucket of water, what little bit was left. I think it evaporated in the air. There was so little. It was like, psh, and just like smoke. And I was going, okay. So then I run back. I, I'm my brothers, my little brothers, I think I'm in like fifth grade maybe at this time. So my brothers were in grade school and, and younger. And so I was like, guys, grab your squirt guns. Because I was like, at least the squirt guns won't lose water everywhere. We grab our squirt guns. We run out. I had one of those super soakers. Any of you 90s kids know what I'm talking about? The super soakers, the more you pumped them up, then you could turn. So I, I, I pumped the thing up as much as I could. And I'm squirting just like one little line of water at this giant tree. And I'm like, this is not working. I run back to fill up my, my water gun again, and my dad is standing there. He's just pulled in the driveway, and he's looking across the field, and it's just fire and smoke that has covered all the neighbors, all the way down to the highway, just smoke everywhere. And my dad's looking at it, and I'm like, what? What fire? Uh, uh, what are you talking about? Um, no, me? I, like, I'm trying to play it off. And here's what I, like, I realized. As a kid, I had this, this really dumb idea that if I just pretended like the fire wasn't there, or if I just ignored the problem, then it would go away. And what I love from even just the first couple of verses of Ruth is that we see this, that, that running from your problem doesn't fix it. And usually what you think is the problem isn't really the problem. Okay, here's the truth. The famine in the land of Judah, the famine that the Israelites were suffering from, wasn't the problem. The problem was their disobedience to God. That's why they had that famine. That's why they had the consequences. Most of the time, you and I, we look at what's going on in our life, and we're so mad at God for the consequences. We're so upset for all the bad things that we think those are the problems. The problem is I don't have enough money. The problem is this person did this to me. The problem is I wasn't made you know, strong enough or smart enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. This bad thing. We, we focus on all the ramifications, all the consequences, and we rarely ever want to deal with the issue, which is our sin and our disobedience to God. Moving on, though, it says this in verse number 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Here's a couple of things I want you to see. Elimelech leaves for a quick trip to get some food, to get away from the famine, he leaves God's promises and pursues this, what he thinks is, is going to be better, a better time in a pagan land, and it ends up taking him about 10 years. So at some point during that 10 years, he dies, so it was a bad trip altogether. He didn't stay with him as long as he thought he was going to be, or wasn't as quick as he thought it would be, um, and his sons die also. So this quick trip into pagan land takes him a lot further than he wanted to go, keeps him a lot longer than he wanted to stay. That's so true of sin. That's so true when we leave God to go pursue what we think is something better. Um, but not only was it not a quick trip, it ends up being very disastrous for him and for his boys. And it also says that uh, they married Moabite women. So the marriage of these two Israelite boys to these Moabite women was also against God. This is not what God had for them. He tells them not to intermarry because uh, the Israelites were so prone to following after other people's gods and, and falling away. God told them not to go marry pagan, uh, the pagan people outside of their own 
uh, outside of their own nation, but these guys did. So we see they, they do this, they're continuing to walk away from God, and they end up dying because of it. Now, it leaves at the end, at the end of the verse, it says that it's left, Naomi's left with her two sons who have died, He's, she's left with their wives, so her daughter-in-laws, so she has no sons, and she has no husband, she's just got them. So these, all three of these ladies are widows, and none of them have any children left. Naomi's two boys are dead, and Orpah and Ruth have no children yet. And so they are, they are now in the lowest class possible for humans at that time. Not only were they women, which were already put below men in this culture in this day and age, but now they were women who had already been married, so what the other men in the culture would have looked at as, as used or used up. And not only that, but they had, they had already been married, and then they were not able to have any kids. So having no one to take care of you or no kids as any kind of uh, uh, future for your family, a, a childless widow was about as low on the class system as you could get. You were going to be completely reliant on friends and family or just the generosity of strangers to take care of you. So this is a very, very tough spot that they find themselves in. Verse number six says this. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So, so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. I like this verse, and I want you to see this thing. It says, she heard in Moab that the Lord was doing something. She heard all the way out in the pagan country, in this godless country, this, this place that had nothing to do with the one true Lord, she still heard about stuff he was doing. His blessings traveled there. This is really cool because what happens is people, people when, when, when God shows up and God starts to do something, when, when, when his blessings begin to flow and when, when lives are being changed, when God shows up, people talk about it. People notice it. If you remember, there's a story in the New Testament when Jesus is going around healing people and he's showing up in one town after the other and he's casting out demons and he's, he's healing the sick and he's preaching and he's teaching. It grabs people's attention. It says this in Mark chapter 2, speaking about it, it says, After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum and word got around that he was back home. And a crowd gathered, a large crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. So many people crammed into these houses to hear Jesus. It was packed to capacity. Why? He was teaching the word. The reason I, I stopped to emphasize that to you is right now, it is no different than it was several thousand years ago. When God shows up and he begins to bless, you better understand that people are going to take notice of that. There's something powerful when you allow God to bless in your life, other people are going to hear about it. Other people are going to notice it because it's so different. And this is what we're praying for. God, show up. Do something powerful. Change lives. I can't change your life. You, you're not going to be able to change your life. Not to the level that God can do it. On a supernatural level, when he heals the brokenness, when he gives hope to people that are in despair, when he, he begins to, to heal and bless a marriage, when he pulls somebody out of addiction, these things, they, they change people. The life change the heart change, the eternity change that happens when people follow after God, other people take notice. And this is what you want. You want that to be true. You want people to go, hey, I heard about Jesus. I heard about God showing up. I want that to be true of our church, but I want that right now. I mean, listen, the, the church has never been the building. You're the church at home. If you're a follower of Christ, let it be said about what God is doing in your home, in your life. Let other people go, man, whatever she's got, whatever's happening there, I want some of that. I, I, I'm curious of what it is that he believes. I'm, I want to know more about what it is she's doing. Let that be the thing that people uh, notice and talk about. Um, let's move on to verse number seven. It says, with her two daughters-in-law, she sets out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Here's something I want you to notice before we move on. It says, she set out. She could have just sat down and gone, woe is me, my life sucks, everything's bad, my husband's dead, my boys are dead, I have no money, I have nothing, I'm poor, I'm a widow, and my own daughter-in-laws e aren't even part of my culture. They, they're, they're from the, this, this pagan land that I went to. I, I've got nothing. She could have just resigned herself to having a pity party, to being depressed, to being angry. What a lot of us do, what a lot of 
times you and I are guilty of is when things don't go well or when things scare us, we focus on the negative. We sit and we think only about how bad we have it. And true bravery, what God's calling us to do is to be courageous enough to, to, to go against that evil, to go against that bad, to not just sit down and resign that, oh man, I'm just doomed. This is all bad and this is all broken and it's so sad. She set out. She pursued what God was doing. She heard God was doing something, so she, she went to go get that. She's like, if God's doing something there, I want to be a part of that. If God is at work, I need to get close to God. She could have stayed mad at God and said, God, why did you do this? Uh, woe is me. But she says, if God's got something going on, I'm going towards God. A lot of us, when it gets heavy, when it gets dark, we run the opposite way. We run away from God. We'll, we'll stop reading our Bible. We'll stop going to church. We'll stop drawing close to him. We'll, we'll distance ourselves from anything that reminds us of Jesus because we're now mad and we're hurt and we're embarrassed. We're angry. And so we do the opposite of what Naomi does. And Naomi and Ruth in this first chapter display so much bravery and so much courage. All of us can learn from them. And one of the things that we really need to take away is that when it's tough, set out for God. Go towards God. Let me remind you what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 11. It says, search for the Lord. That means go in his direction. Search for him, for his strength. Continually seek him. It doesn't mean avoid him. It doesn't mean ignore him. It doesn't mean do what you want to do, what comes naturally and easy to you. It means do the hard thing. Go out there saying, God, I need you. You have to make this effort. You have to go after. If you are the kind of person who's like, I'll just sit down here and pout and hope that things get better and that God's somehow going to bless me for being a whiner or a quitter, that is not bravery and that is not courage. Now hear me as I say this because I love you. God reaches down to us in our brokenness. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. None of us are good enough to fix ourselves. I'm not talking about self-help like you make yourself better. I am talking about not quitting, not giving up, not resigning to your brokenness. So they set out, and it says this on the next verse. This is where the story gets interesting in verse number 8. On the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. When, it tells, when she's saying there, go back to your mother's house, she's telling them, hey, this is the wise choice. You girls are from Moab. You've got more family. You've got more friends here. You know the culture here. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to where all the Jews are. You guys stay here with all the Moabites. This will be easier for you. Go find another husband. She's She's uh, blessing them. She's telling them to go do that. She also makes, uh, she, she is a commentary here that is, is quite a powerful um, realization of what, what marriage should be. She tells them, go and find another husband. And she's blessing them that you would find the security of another marriage. If you see that in this verse, she says, uh, the security of another marriage. And this word that's actually used there also means rest. And just as a little aside, those of you that are married or that are thinking about getting married, uh, a blessed marriage would be one where you find security, that's comfort and safety with your spouse, and someone that you can find rest in, which is the other uh, meaning of that word. <coughs> that doesn't have a lot to do with today's message, but I did find it unique that that was her interpretation of a blessed marriage would be one where both of those people found a safety in each other. So if you're if your marriage isn't defined by that, why don't you dig into that this morning? If you're struggling to say, man, I, I'm not at rest. This isn't, this isn't a relationship that puts me at peace. If you're dating somebody or seriously thinking about um, um, marrying somebody and there isn't a security and there isn't a rest there, that, let that be a warning. This is a, a great indication of what marriage should be. And I, I would go on to say a lot of our relationships should model after this. But this is also an indication of, of Naomi's heart. She wanted better for those girls. She knew that she was, she was going to have a rough life, and she was trying to give them an, an easy way out to do something uh, to help them out a little bit. But they answered verse number 10, and they say, No, no, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi, she stopped. So these girls are like, No, we're with you. But she says, No. No, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it was possible, even if I could get married is what she's saying, 
And if I were to do that, if I got married tonight and could bear sons, what, would you wait for those boys to grow up? Would you refuse to marry anybody else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So first, she's saying, uh, you know, hey, listen, what you guys got to understand in this culture where they live in is if, if, uh, if a man died and he hadn't uh, had any children with his wife, it was up to his immediate family to be a surrogate father and to help that woman have children. Because women were only really valued by uh, how many kids they could have, it was considered basically unfair, for lack of a better term, for a woman to be married to a man who wasn't able to give her any kids before he died. So usually it would fall to his brother or one of his more immediate male, male relatives to help that woman have a child so she could have some hope of a future. Those kids could grow up and take care of her as she got older. Um, it was pretty much the only way forward. It was called was, was that being a surrogate father was called being a, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Um, it's an abu- it, there is truthfully a beautiful picture that's at play throughout the whole book of Ruth and who, who Boaz is and how he demonstrates Christ's love to us. And there's so much more than we have time to get into today. But what Naomi is saying in this verse is she's going, I don't have any more kids. There's nobody here to give you any children. Um, and even if I did get married, that it would take too long for, for those kids, if I had any more kids, to grow up to be sons that you could marry. So don't, don't feel like you're locked into my family. My family has failed you. My family cannot provide for you. So you guys go and find, start other families. Go do some other things is what she's saying there. And then she also ends it by saying, um, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And so Naomi believes that her life is filled with bitterness. She believes that God is punishing her. And uh, once again, this speaks, she may believe, she may feel that the death of her husband and sons is because they left the promised land. They left what God had promised to them. She may have felt that it was punishment for marrying those girls. She just may have been like, hey, I've, I've walked away from God and all of this bitterness is God's punishment on me. Nevertheless, she, she's still in the middle of that, recognizing that she needs to return to God, even though she's being punished for sin, she still says, I'm going back to God. And this is huge. This is real bravery and courage. When you screwed up, now hear me out this morning, when you screwed up and you've messed up, owning it, that's what courage looks like. Don't tell me you're brave. Don't tell me how strong you are when it's everybody else's fault that you've sinned, when it's everybody else's issue that, that's caused you to, to turn away from God. Your disobedience to God may have been easier because of other people, but it doesn't fall on them for your choice. Your decision to do what you did is on you. Now, I'm not saying that you had it easy. I'm not saying that life has been fair to you, but there's something to be said for owning what we've done and what our mistakes are, what our sin is. When we've been disobedient to God, when you own that, and Naomi's owning that, she's saying, nevertheless, I'm still going back to God, even though I feel all of this is, is falling on me. Let's go back. She says this. She, she says this so convincingly because she doesn't want those girls to be a part of that, and yet she knows that she herself has a responsibility to go draw close to God. It says this in, in Psalms chapter 9, verse number 10. Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If you feel like you have sinned against God, I want you to hear this today. This is the, the joy of being able to look at these stories. You've got to go read the story and how good it turns out for Naomi. Naomi, because she returns back to God and doesn't, isn't, doesn't stay mad at God, but instead allows God to, to, to work through her, she owns it. She's humble. She's very, there's a lot of people who get humbled, but they don't stay humble. There's a lot of people that are knocked low, but they aren't lowly. There is something to be said for somebody who goes, man, I've broken, I have screwed up, I have messed up, and I deserve this, and yet I'm still trusting God. And what God is saying is that when we seek him, he's there for us. When we go to him, he's not going to deny us. Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. It doesn't mean that she didn't turn away from him, but the fact that she is going back, seeking him again, he's not going to forsake her. This is going to be true. Now, by the way, uh, technically one of her great-grandsons writes this verse, which is kind of cool, um, but this is true of her. 
that she doesn't forsake God. She instead returns back and God does something very powerful. I want, to, I want you to see the reply. In verse 14, it says, And again they wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. So they both, both of the daughter-in-law say, hey, we're with you, Naomi. We're going with you. We want to stay with you. And then Naomi makes her speech. Guys, I can't give you any more kids. You're not going to be able to, to have a family with me. There's nothing I can do to help you. Just go and, 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 and you'll be better off going back to, to, to Moab. You guys will be better off trying your luck there with, with your own families. And when she says that, um, Orpah takes her up on it. Orpah, now they bo- it says both times they're crying, they're weeping. This is a very emotional time. They were very close. They, were, they, had, they had grown together. They obviously had gone through a lot of heartache, all three of them losing their husbands. So they were bonded. But at this point, when Orba looks at her, her options, she sees that it'll be easier to leave Naomi and go back. So Orpa does that. She, she cashes out. It says that Ruth does it. There's, <coughs> there's this this part that I want you guys to understand about what's going on here, there was, there was some strong emotions, the weeping, the bitterness, the crying, the, man, it says, that, I mean, it draws our attention to it twice that they're, that they're crying together. And yet they both had a decision to make. Orpah and Ruth both had a decision to make. And I, and I want you to understand that strong emotions also don't equate to bravery. Feelings need to translate into doing. And a lot of us, we feel deeply, but we don't act deeply. We have a lot of emotions, and a lot of people think of themselves as brave or courageous because they feel a lot. You're very passionate, but that isn't enough. You may feel strongly, but it's your actions that dictate whether you're brave or not. Most of us, you can feel, and remember, Jesus felt the temptation of fear and anguish as he was looking at the cross. To feel heavy, strong emotions, that's part of life. That's part of who we are. It's how we react to it. Do we react in strength and in courage and in faith? Or do we react out of fear and anxiety and, and depression or, 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 or just despair? Which way do we react to it? And Orpah decides she's going to go the other way. Whereas Ruth, her emotions drove her to stay close. It says that she clung to Naomi, that she hugged her, that she held on tight to her. She says, I'm not leaving you. Her emotions drove her to a different action. Let me remind you of John 3.16. It speaks to the emotions of God. It says, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. This emotion was so strong. How strong was it? It was so strong that he gave. And here's the action. This is where courage actually takes foot, takes hold. And it says, that your emotion should drive you to do something. God loved the world so much that he gave up his only son. He allowed his son to go to the cross to be crucified. Why? Because he loved us so much he wanted everybody who believes in Jesus to have eternal life and not perish. God's love for us, this emotion, this, this strong feeling he had, moved him to action. So many of us, we got tons of feelings, very little action, very little bit of a recourse. It says this in verse 15, Ruth says, or I'm sorry, Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. She is giving her yet another option. How many of you ever been out with somebody where you're having dinner and you're like, hey, I got the check. And they're like, oh no, I got it. And now you're playing this game of like, well, I've made it. You know, like, are, do I really want the check or do I just throw out like, oh yeah, no, like I got it. No, you got it. Oh, okay. You know, like how hard do you fight to pay for the bill? Like, oh, I got this. And you're doing that, like what John Petty says, those, those uh, uh, I think it's uh, crocodile arms or the T-Rex arms. Like, oh, let me get my wallet. Uh, where is it at? Oh, did you pay for it? Oh, so, so close. I almost, I was going to get you. I'll get you next time. You know that, fa- like where you pretend like, you, like you're going to do it? I think this is what Naomi is saying here to Ruth. Like, you do not have to stay with me. She's giving her the options because she doesn't really want a fair weather friend. She's like, hey, go, go out, and go, go do this. And, uh, and Ruth, Ruth really doubles down and says, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Ruth replies in verse 16, don't ask me to leave you and to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. 
May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. This is an incredibly powerful part, and this is the real part of the, that I want you to see, the, the bravery of Ruth. We've already seen some of the bravery of Naomi, but Ruth says, I'm going to embrace your God. What you have shown me, Naomi, is that your God is more real than my Moabite God. What you've got, I want. And so uh, Ruth here is, is showing a, a willingness to, to forsake her pagan culture and to draw near to the God that, that uh, Naomi has. Book of James, chapter 4, verse number 8 says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. You draw close to Him, you draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to you. This is action, reaction. Wash your hands. I thought that was kind of appropriate <laughs> for Corona 2020 craziness. Um, and this is speaking more on a uh, spiritual level, a cleansing, a repentance, uh, and asking for forgiveness. But wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And it's speaking to the fact that we all, we feel torn, our spirit and our flesh, what the world tells us and what God's calling us to. And we all have this. Every single person, whether you have claimed to believe in God for decades now, or if you're sitting here watching this going, I don't believe, I don't believe in God at all. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at on the spectrum, God says that, there, that we have to decide who we're going to serve, who we're going to go after. If you reject God, then you're automatically serving the world or your flesh. You're doing what your sin nature wants. You have to choose between your flesh and your spirit. And it says that we're all divided between God and the world, and we can't let that. Our loyalty has to go somewhere. And if we will draw close to God, he'll draw close to us. This is what Ruth demonstrates in this one verse right here. And by the way, she spent 10 years and hadn't drawn close to God. Watching Naomi's compromise and, all, and, and those men, their compromise of walking away from God didn't do anything to inspire her to follow after God. It was in that moment when Naomi said, I'm going back to God. He's got what, he's got what I really need. That's the moment that Ruth goes, that's the truth that I want. It was, it was Naomi's boldness and courage that led to Ruth coming after God. Ruth's conversion to falling after the one true God only happened when Naomi took the right step and went in the right direction. That's a, probably a powerful truth for some of you watching, that the people that you're praying for need to see you take a bold, courageous, brave step in the right direction. And that might be the very thing that, that God is going to use to change their hearts. I, I love this story about Ruth, and I know that it's powerful, but I think sometimes it's better to hear from other people besides me. And I thought a cool change-up this morning, uh, instead of me just telling you everything that I see from Ruth, would be to invite a special guest to come alongside of us and uh, to give us a different perspective, a unique perspective. I've invited Marilyn Sears to come and to speak to us uh, this morning, and we're going to try to do a live cast with her where we'll, I'll talk to her and get her to kind of give you a little bit of uh, her insights as well. Um, if you don't know Marilyn, Marilyn um, came and spoke at one of our Anchored Women's events right here. Um, obviously, that was a, a little while ago when we could still meet together in large groups, but she blessed the women of our church, and man, she shared some powerful stories about some heavy things that she went through and how God gave her victory and allowed her to find some courage and, and, and walk through some very heavy, very dark things. Um, those of you that got to hear her story, you might remember some of those uh, situations, but uh, she agreed to come on uh, with us this morning and uh, talk to us a little bit. So uh, I hope that this will be a blessing to you. We're going to try to see if we can make this work. All right, so let's go uh, live to Marilyn Sears. Hey, Marilyn, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Josh and Harbor Church. It's good to see you guys. Oh, man, it's great to be seen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, quick question, how are you doing with all this coronavirus craziness? How's Tennessee treating you? Well, um, we're a little bored and um, there's not a lot to do, but we're handling it okay. We're both well, and um, Ron and I are going around uh, in our, oh, there's Ron. Hello, Ron. That's my better half. <laughs> um, we're, we've been getting in the car and going around and just visiting some of our folks, um, telling them we're outside to come out and wave at us, and then we have prayer with them. So we're trying to keep busy the best way we can. 
Oh, very cool. Very cool. I love that. What a great, what a great story. What a great idea. A lot of people should be doing that, loving their neighbors a little bit more like that. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I would love for you, while we have you, uh, if you could share a few insights today. We're talking about Ruth and Naomi and the story uh, of how God used them and their bravery and their courage. And I was curious if maybe you want to share a few insights that you have on uh, how, how we could learn something from Ruth and, and the bravery and the courage that she displayed, uh, if you've got anything for us from that. Sure. I'm glad you're speaking on Ruth. She's one of my heroes. Um, yeah, there's lots of lessons that I've learned through, through the story of Ruth. One thing I think that is important to learn is even though that was in ancient times, there's still stories that uh, we can take away and apply to ourselves because um, we all have things tragically happening in, in our past and um, things that hold us back and um, that we don't always know what to deal with. But as we seek God's will and be faithful, he always shows us. And one of the things that is interesting about Ruth is the fact that Naomi didn't want her to go with her. And she insisted on going and said, where you go, I'll go. And she went to a place that she didn't know anybody, and it was different customs and um, a whole different way of life. Yet her faithfulness to Naomi um, led her to the best place she could ever have been and ended up with being in the lineage of Jesus. So I think many times because we don't always know what the situation is going to end up to be like, we're fearful and we don't want to step out. But if we show our faithfulness and just follow God, many times the outcome is so much better than where you would have been if you had not been faithful and moved. Oh man, how true you are. That is that is absolutely right on. And we were just talking about that, this, this need to go forward, even if we don't know exactly where God's calling us or what he's asking us to do. Um, the question would be, like, is there a personal application? Is there something that we could do that would help us apply today, modernly, what Ruth was doing? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, she's probably one of the bravest people I know. She and Esther are my favorite people in the Bible for uh, lessons that we can learn for bravery because Ruth stepped out, and um, when they got to Israel, she did what Naomi told her to do and went and gleaned from Boaz's field. And in doing that, she didn't really know what she was doing. She just followed her mother-in-law's instructions and um, did what she was supposed to do and stepped out. That took so much bravery because she was in a place where she didn't know anyone, probably didn't, I don't even know if she knew how to glean. So it was the bravery of her stepping out and doing what was the right thing to do, and God honored that. In my life, there's been places that Ron and I have gone through the years. Um, he's actually drugged me all over the world. And um, there's been many places that we've gone that I didn't know anybody and walking into situations where we weren't sure um, if we would be accepted, if we would be uh, able to do our ministry in the way that God wanted us to do it. And you have to just step out. You can't let that keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And that doesn't mean, that could be anything like doing a small group or calling people on the phone or sharing your testimony. We're all afraid of certain things, but if we allow God to um, uh, speak in us and we're faithful and step out, we can all be brave. That is very true, and, and I think a lot of us are struggling right now to figure out, uh, Marilyn, just where to find that brave, where we can go to uh, get that next step. I know a lot of people watching, um, they s hear the story of Ruth, and they're going, what, what do I have to do to get that kind of courage? Where could I find that kind of bravery? It's easy to read the story in hindsight and see all the stuff that happened, but for us right now, today, to live this out loud and, and this craziness, that's rough. How can we find the courage that Ruth had? Like, where where could we take some, some examples of that today? Sure. I think, um, you know, all of us have fear of being accepted. 
all of us have fear of um, wanting others to, to like us and to not look stupid in front of people. But I think when we're really searching for what God wants us to do, he does, he's not an author of confusion. He will lay things on our heart, and we have to be willing to make that first little step, whatever that might be. In the type of quarantine that we're in right now, there's um, a lot of loneliness going on in people's lives. And I think many times we allow ourselves to, to wallow in that and only think of ourselves. And I think it's really important that, especially during a time like this, that we reach out to others, that we allow people into our lives. Because it's one thing to be lonely and allow yourself to get into a deep depression. It's another thing to be lonely and realize it and step out and allow God to use you in somebody else's life, which will then in turn be used in your life. So I think a lot of... Um, we can't be selfish. We have to allow ourselves to be used of God in people's lives that he brings to our mind. And we have to put the fear aside and step out in that bravery. Man, that is that is exactly what I was hoping people would take away from this story. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, I mean, just great insights. Uh, you could preach this whole message. I could just listen to you just uh, kind of break down Ruth and Naomi. So thank you for that. Thank you for what you and Ron are doing, just the testimony you guys have and how you're living out your faith that way and even some of the examples that you shared with us today. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and for blessing our church and for just being a part of uh, today's today's service on, on Ruth. Man, it's been, it's been great. I know our women uh, love hearing from you again, just not only from the way you blessed them before, but just from today and all that you've done. So thank you so much from Harbor Church. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really love you. Thank you, Josh. Hi, ladies. I pray for you every day. Well, thank you again, Marilyn. Uh, man, uh, that was that was cool that we were able to do that. The technology gives us the opportunity to kind of uh, get with somebody and have uh, some other perspectives. And Marilyn's story is pretty intense, some of the things that she went through. So when she's talking about bravery and stepping out and trusting God, that wasn't something she was just saying flippantly. And as she described there, again, uh, Ruth just had a lot of little steps to take, little little ways to follow after uh, after what God was putting in front of her, little little things that she had to do to, to just listen to Naomi's advice. Man, it's, just, it's such a powerful story. I don't have time to give you all the other chapters in Ruth. Uh, if you want to see the end of chapter 1, it says that uh, uh, Ruth finishes her, her conversation with Naomi in verse 17. She says, wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So she's making a commitment, and she's also making a vow to God. She's asked God, she's like, punish me if I break this vow. So even in her first uh, you know, few steps of trusting God, she already sees the justice and the consequences, and uh, just the, the righteousness of who God is, and so she's already kind of committing to that. The rest of the story says this, if you jump down, verse 19, it says, So the two of them continued on their journey, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, uh, she responded. Uh, and this is the thing, Naomi um, ha had a positive connotation. Um, it was an upbeat, it was very good, it was very uh, blessed. She says, instead, call me Mara. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. So Mara means bitter. She's like, change my name to bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me, why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is just the beginning of setting up this story where Ruth and Naomi end up finding a kinsman redeemer and a guy named Boaz. Um, and not only does Boaz end up marrying Ruth, um, but uh, Naomi and Ruth together um, uh, are, are elevated to a much higher, more prestigious place. God blesses them and rescues them from what was going to be a very, very tough life because they were willing to trust him. They were willing to follow him. And the, this end of this, this story is Naomi showing up home. By the way, she didn't have to go back to Bethlehem, but she did. She faced the music. She, she came back, and what I see here is that she owns it. Like, this, is, this 
calamity has befallen me. God is punishing me. I have screwed up. And she doesn't, she doesn't go somewhere where nobody knows her. She goes back to the people that watched her leave 10 years earlier. And she says, I shouldn't have left. I did wrong. This that has befallen on me is because I screwed up. She owns it, which is very powerful. It's very brave to own your mistake. Some of you watching me right now haven't owned your mistake. You've made excuses, but you've never said, I did wrong. There is something very powerful to admitting that you are the one that messed up. Naomi does this, and that bravery that it takes is that beginning step of repentance where you acknowledge you're the wrong party. A lot of us, we love to blame everybody else and all the circumstances. What if this morning you take a lesson from Naomi and you say, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Not everything that, that's bad is your fault. You don't have to own the mistakes that other people did. If somebody did, did you bad, if somebody hurt you, if somebody did something wrong to you, you don't have to worry about them. They'll have to answer to God. What you answer to God for is what you did. So if you responded wrong, if you've been selfish, if you've been greedy, if you've been hoarding your time, if you've been hoarding your money, if you've been uh, bitter towards somebody, if you've allowed anger or resentment, if you haven't forgiven somebody, if those things are true, ask for forgiveness of that. I want to remind you of what Second Chronicles 7.14 says. It says, if my people who are called by my name, this is God speaking here, if my people, the people who claim to believe in me, follow after me, are called by my name, will humble themselves. And it takes courage to humbly say, I can't solve my own problems. God, you can. If they'll humble themselves and they'll pray and they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This is the, the picture of repentance. And this is what Naomi does. And this is what you and I need to do. This is where real bravery comes from, Naomi style. If, if we do that, if we'll repent and we'll turn from the stupid things we're doing, the wicked things we're doing, selfishness, greed, lust, anger, pride, all of these things that we give into so easily, if we'll turn from that, God says, then he'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And this is God saying, listen, I want good for you. I want blessings for you, but he's righteous and he's just. And justice says that when you do something wrong, there has to be a penalty for it. If there's no consequences for sin, then everybody would continue to sin. But a just God says, here's the consequences for when you walk away from me. However, if you'll walk towards me, as we already read, then God will draw right back close to us. So you have the bravery of Naomi, but you also need to have the love of Ruth. And Ruth demonstrates her love for Naomi. Later on, her love for Boaz and his love for her. And how love is another form of bravery. When you love somebody, when you're vulnerable enough with somebody to say, yeah, it, it would be easier for me to do that, to go back to Moab, but what you, what you and I have, I love this, and I want to I value our relationship. Naomi was afraid. I believe Ruth was probably afraid, but their love for one another, their friendship, their willingness to go forward gave them a bravery and a courage to overcome that fear. And this is the verse I want to leave you with. It's 1 John 4, verse 18, verses 18 and 19. It says, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. When we talk about bravery, when we talk about courage, it's to get rid of this fear, and you find that in love. Perfect love. What Jesus has for us, it casts out fear. This is an incredibly important and very powerful verse. Please write this down. Put it on an index card or a post-it note. Put it on your mirror so you see it in the morning when you're brushing your teeth. Perfect love casts out fear. We do not have to walk around, even in the middle of coronavirus, you don't have to walk around afraid. Fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This is talking about God's love for us. And the next verse, very important, it says that we love, we love God, we love him because he first loved us. It's important that you don't leave this out. A lot of uh, translations leave this part out. It just says, we love because God loved us, or we love others because God loved us. The correct translation is, we love God because he loved us. He first loved us, taught us how to love, and that perfect love is what casts out fear. 
It's not that Jesus didn't have a horrible time on the cross that was excruciating torment, but the fear of the cross didn't keep him from it because of his love for us. The fear of what was coming forward for Ruth and Naomi was overcome because of their love for one another. Some of you need to demonstrate love for the people around you, and that's going to be the thing that casts out the fear. doesn't mean that there isn't a reason to be afraid. doesn't mean that there aren't fears looming, but it means that it casts them out, that those do not become the priority. Those are not the things that we focus on, and the reason we have the opportunity to overcome that is because of love, the love that Christ showed us, and the love that we get to show others. Here's what I'm asking you this morning. Would you be willing to love those around you? Would you be willing to take that step of bravery? Maybe it's the one that Naomi took to admit where you've been wronged, to own a mistake and ask for forgiveness, to repent, to apologize, to ask for God's forgiveness, to confess it and then move past it, to turn in the other way and go towards something good. Maybe you, wouldn't, you need to do the kind of love that Ruth has. Right now, as God puts somebody on your heart, would you be willing to love them in the perfect way that Jesus loved us? And by that perfect way, Jesus put us above himself. God calls us to love him and to love others the way we would love ourselves. The way we love ourselves is we, we find it very easy to think of our needs and our wants. Right now, there are people all around you, maybe in the house that you're sitting in and the, next to you on the couch right now, or maybe across the street, or maybe across town or across the country, and they're going through a really hard time. And if you would love them the way that you love yourself, God would use you to bless them, to encourage them, to instill strength and bravery in them, and you would actually find courage in yourself as you lean into God. You, you yourself would be more brave. That love that God's called us to, it starts with Him, and it flows through us if we allow it. I'm going to pray for you. If you want to pray right where you're at, I'd encourage you to simply invite God into your life, maybe for the very first time. Maybe, maybe you just need to kind of own that God's calling you to, to step out and to, to do something for others. Maybe, maybe drop that in the comments. It's easy to think it up here. It's kind of, man, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road when you type it out and you put it out there like, hey, I'm going to do this. What are some ways that you can love those around you right now. Don't be shy. Be the first person to put a comment up. This is what I'm going to do to love those around me. This is how I'm going to love my neighbor. This is how I'm going to do that. Maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's dropping off a gift. Maybe it's cooking a meal for somebody. I don't know what it is, but what would God be calling you to do? As I pray, why don't you pray and ask him to put something on your heart, and then you can drop it in the comments. We want to pray for you. We want to come alongside of you. I got to imagine that right now, some of you need to start with your very first relationship with God. Right now, make this moment the very first time that you've truly invited God in. Yeah, you can only do that by repenting, asking for forgiveness, and then trusting in his love for us that he died for us to forgive us of those sins. And then trust him that he loves you enough that he should be the one in control of your life. He should be the one calling the shots. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi. Thank you for loving us so much that you would draw us to you. That you said that if we would seek after you, if we would just repent and turn from our, our sin, if we would draw close to you, you would draw close to us, God. That you said that those of us that would seek your face, you wouldn't abandon us, you wouldn't forsake us. And God, I know that right now there are people that are scared, there are people that are hurting, there are people who uh, feel like they're broken and lost. They've given in to sin, they've given in to their, their struggles. God, they, they, they feel like their relationships are broken. There's people that right now don't know what, where to turn or what to do. I pray that you would bless them and encourage them and strengthen them and that you would just pour your love out on them as they learn to trust you and follow after you. God, forgive us for the times that we try to do things in our own power. God, would you forgive us for thinking that we somehow uh, have the ability to save ourselves or anybody else, God. We, we repent from that, we turn from that, and we turn towards you, especially in this time. God, you said if your people would just would humble themselves and seek your face. And so, God, we're asking you to lead. Lead us today, lead us tomorrow. Give us the thoughts and the words and the actions for how not to give in to fear, how not to be wrapped up in, 
anxiety, but God, how to trust you. And I pray, Lord, right now for the person under the sound of my voice that needs to trust you for the very first time to truly find salvation, to find a life with you, to truly become a believer, not just somebody who says it or thinks it, but somebody who invites you into their life, that opens up their heart, that walks away from their sin and walks towards you. God, I pray that they would have the courage and the wisdom to right now invite you to be the Lord of their life, to welcome you in, to move out of the driver's seat and let you start calling the shots. God, we thank you and we praise you. It's in your perfect and precious and holy name that we pray all of this. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.